Genesis 50, 15 through 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that, that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for I am in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive, and they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. And this is the word of the Lord. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Excuse my... um... allergy voice this morning. Don't know what happened. Woke up, have been drinking tea, and I'm not a tea drinker, so hopefully this will last um, longer. My voice will last longer than the sermon is supposed to, so that's what we'll hope for. Um, Before we get going in this message, um, I want to share with you something that our students are doing. Um, For those of you who don't know me, my name's Adrian. I'm the youth pastor here at Grace, so I uh, serve this church through um, serving middle school and high school students and families. And what we're doing an event in um, two weeks. So two weeks from this weekend, we're doing an event called a Fall Nighter. Um, it's it's an all night event. Let me just say, I'm I'm not a fan of all night events, but one thing that they do is they bring out lost people. So one of the things, one of our goals for this event. And one of the reasons I am excited about this event, though I hadn't done one in years, is that, for one, it's going to be our plan is this. My team has been meeting to plan this. It's the goal for this event in two weeks is that it is the most fun 10 hours of a student's life. So, parents, if you want a safe, fun place for your kids to go that night, it will be, it'll be pretty amazing. Second goal for that event uh, that night is that we share the gospel in more than one way. And that's the one thing that we're doing. We we're planning to do so, and we're hoping to see God bring some fruit out of that. So one of the ways that you can serve uh, in that event is if you would like to be praying for that, there'll be a sign-up ready next week. There'll be a sign-up ready next week if you're like, hey, I'm a night owl, and I would like to pray for this event all night. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm just asking that you would pray for 30 minutes uh, during a time slot of that night, you then call the next person, and then you, 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 you pray for that 30 minutes. You then call the next person, and they then will pray for 30 minutes, and so on and so forth. So that'll be ready next week, uh, ready for you to sign up. You'll be hearing about this event. If you follow our social media, you'll be seeing a lot of, of videos and photos from that night. But it's going, to be, it's going to be an amazing night. We're excited about it. Uh, I'm excited about it. I hope you guys are. If you're not planning to come, then God will smite you if you don't. But uh, besides that, um, no, it, it is going to be a fun night, and, and we're excited about that night. But we're going to jump in this morning um, to a, uh, a passage that Eli's read for us, Genesis 50. And if you um, have lived long enough, you've, you've had life take a wrong turn, right? We've all had a situation uh, where life has taken a wrong turn. Maybe it was one that you caused, or maybe it was something that you didn't cause, but somebody else did. Um, and uh, if, you're, if maybe you've had a situation where, where it turned out actually that the wrong turn uh, turned out to, to be good. Maybe it was a financial decision that you made that you thought, oh, no. Why did I make that? And all of a sudden, it, it, 
it ended up being good in, in the long run. Or maybe it's a, uh, it's a decision you made. Maybe you're a cook and you forgot to put something in this thing that you were making and you thought, oh no, this is going to be terrible. And everybody told you that it was the greatest thing you've ever made. Maybe um, if, if you're like me and, and a lot of other men, probably you um, most of the time, 98% of the time, know where you're going. But the times that you don't, you hope that it turns out well. I was uh, on a mission trip in New York in 2013, and we had eaten at this place the day that we first arrived there, and it was just nasty, okay? The guy told us, go down the street. There's two restaurants. Go down there and eat, and we did, and we discovered that that was the nastiest place we could have eaten in 98-degree heat in New York City. And um, it was just this nasty fried chicken. But anyway, it, it, was, it was gross. So the next time we go out, which is a few nights later, um, that, the way we went was that way. So the next night we walk out of the place where we're staying, I just decided to go this way. And then I said, hey, let's take a left turn. Now, Dave Snyder, who was on the trip with us, probably knew where he was going, but I didn't. I just acted like I did. So what I did is I said, hey, let's, let's go down here. Let's take a left. Oh, let's, let's take another left. And I just kept saying, we need to go to these places, not knowing if the turn was going to be right or the turn was going to be wrong. And we ended up after we had eaten just like you should on a mission trip all week, we ended up on this street and it was just hundreds of fabulous restaurants. And what did I say? I said, guys, I was planning to bring you here and I wanted you to know that I wanted to treat you guys tonight. And we ended up at this beautiful place. So what I didn't know was going to be good or bad turned out to be what? Turned out to be really good. Turned out to be actually very good. So it was good enough that we just kind of went food hopping over the, over the course of those places. But sometimes, though, life can take wrong turns, and you don't know where they're going to end up. Maybe um, you've been in a situation before that you weren't expecting, and it just wasn't that easy to come back from. You didn't know the wrong turn that was going to happen, but it wasn't that easy because sometimes that happens. Maybe it was a, a relationship that didn't go the way you planned. That relationship didn't go the way you planned, and it puts you in a position you never thought you'd be in. Maybe it was a friendship that was strong, but it ended up, that person ended up hurting you. Though that friendship was once very strong, that person hurt you deeply, or maybe it was some kind of physical pain that set you back in a way that you did not expect. Maybe uh, someone has said something to you that has changed the way you view yourself, and you've never been able to get over it. And when life has taken that kind of wrong turn, it caused you to feel angry that life wasn't turning out the way that you thought it would. It caused uh, you to feel afraid of what might happen next. It, it, it has caused you to feel helpless because you're not sure that you can make it through whatever you're, you're, you're in. It, it, you, you, it caused you to be bitter. You're not sure if you're able to go to what's next. You're unable if you, you don't know if you can trust anybody. And ultimately, you don't know if you can trust God. And this morning, we're going to be seeing that in this last sermon, in this series, that what God, uh, what man intended for evil and harm, guess what? God then used for good. This whole series, we've been talking about bitterness. We've been talking about anger. Uh, we've talked about um, how to go to somebody who is, who is erring, go to somebody who is in sin. We've, we've talked about how to forgive, and ultimately, we're going to wrap this series up this morning with that idea that what others meant for harm, God can use for good. What others meant for harm, he can use for good. And let me just say, this is a, a paradigm-shifting idea. This is an idea that doesn't come natural to us. 
The natural thing is that when somebody does us wrong, we don't forget it. We always hold it against them because that's easy and because that gives us a sense of power. When somebody has wronged us, we hold that against them and then we feel powerful over them because they have wronged us and we don't have to let that go. And what this is telling us this morning is that in order for us to move in our relationship with Christ, in our relationship with maybe the person who has harmed us, the only way that we can move out of that is to realize that what someone may have intended for evil, God can then use for good. So it's this one overarching idea. And I'll just say I stole this from John MacArthur, but it's this one overarching idea that God works his own ends. No matter what the intention of people, be it good or bad, God will bring about his own ultimate end. Now, we'll get into this in a little bit because I know that that phrase may bring some some questions. Like, are you saying that everything in life is caused by God, whether it's good or bad? We'll get to that in a little bit. But God will bring about his ultimate end. In other words, it's saying God is in control of anything and everything. Despite what good has happened to you, despite what bad has happened, and we're going to see that this morning. And the verse that we're going to be focusing on is Genesis 50, 20. Eli's read it for us, but I'm going to read it again. As for you, this is Joseph saying this, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive. In order for this verse to make sense, in order for this idea to make sense, we've got to look at the entire life of Joseph. We've got to look at the entire life of the man who made this statement, and it goes all the way back to Genesis 37. We're, this morning, we're going to walk through the life of Joseph, and as I'm walking through this, we're not going to have uh, uh, points or truths until we get to the end, but I want, as we look at this guy's life, I want you to take note of the things that happened to him. Because chances are some of the things that happened to him and the emotions that that would bring have also happened to you. So let's look at his life. In Genesis 37, Joseph is the son of Jacob. Joseph is the son of Jacob. It says he was a 17-year-old young man. And the problem was his dad loved him more than he loved his other uh, brothers. There were, there were 10 other brothers older than Joseph, and, 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 and they loved him more or excuse me, the dad loved Joseph more, so he made him a robe. We all know it's, it's, if you've been in church for a long time, it's a robe of many colors. It was this vibrant, beautiful robe. So he made him one, and his brothers do what any uh, uh, siblings do. If your parents have a favorite, what? They, they become jealous and they get angry. So they begin to plot these, these ways to, 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 to maybe hurt Joseph, but it all really, not just with the robe, started because Joseph had this dream. And in Joseph's dream, he says, um, he, he had a dream, and, and, and when he interpreted it to his brothers, he looked at his brothers and said, yeah, the interpretation of my dream is that one day all of you will bow down to me. Let me just say, if you're a younger brother, don't do that, all right? Don't tell your older siblings, one day you're going to bow down to me. But that's what he did. So they were like, I don't, I don't think so, Joseph. They started calling him a dreamer, started making fun of him. Well, he had another dream. And in that dream, it was the same way. He said, not only will you bow down to me, but my mother and father will bow down to me as well. So finally, Jacob was like, look, I love you, Joseph, but you need to kind of, kind of hush that. And, and, and they kind of put it aside. And then one day, as the story goes on, the other brothers were out watching sheep. And it wasn't just, you know, like across the campus. It was a long way away. And, and Joseph wasn't out doing that. Joseph was actually back home. And Jacob said, hey, I want you to go check on your brothers. See how they're doing. I want you to go check on them. So 
so there was probably also some resentment that they're out watching sheep in Joseph's back home with this nice, uh, you know, robe and, and, and he looks all fly and stuff. So what happens is, is he, uh, he goes out to check on his brothers and the brothers see him coming at a distance and they say, hey, I think we should do something to him. So they do. They, they, they plot this idea. They say, hey, let's kill him. And they're like, no, we shouldn't kill him because um, that'll hurt our fathers. So instead they get him, they beat him up, they strip him of his robe and they throw him in this pit. Like, that's any better. They throw him in this pit, waterless pit. Judah, one of the brothers, with just a little bit of sympathy, sees this, this, this caravan off in the distance of Ishmaelites. They're headed to Egypt. And Judah says, hey, instead of leaving, in, leaving him here to die, let's at least make some money off of him. So they sell him to these guys headed for Egypt. So that was the first of several things that happens to Joseph. It's a, what we might call a family feud. Before we go on, let's take a look at where we are. Joseph is an innocent Young man, not deserving of any of this, he's beaten by his brothers, the ones who are supposed to love him the most. He's then stripped of, of his robe. He's left in a waterless pit, and now he's being human trafficked off to another country. That's the place that we find him in, and despite all of these wrong turns, this, this happens to be a big one. So the brothers, they, they wanted their father to think Joseph died, so they stripped him of his robe, you know, killed an animal, smeared the blood all over the animal and took it back to their dad and said, Joseph's dead. Meanwhile, he's actually in Egypt. But things start to turn for Joseph. Things start to get a little bit better because he's being sold back in Egypt, but he's sold to a man named Potiphar. Now, Potiphar was this very wealthy man. He was a man in charge of a lot. So he kind of takes a liking to Joseph and he says, hey, like, I want to put you in charge of all of my house. Like, I'm in charge of a lot. I want you to be in charge of that. Joseph's a good leader. So Potiphar does that and things look like he's about to, Joseph looks like he's about to get back on his feet until one day Potiphar's wife also notices Joseph. And Potiphar's wife uh, comes to Joseph and he, she, she propositions him. She wants to, to, to have sex with Joseph and Joseph says, no, that's not what I'm, gonna, that's not what I'm about. I'm not going to do that. So she does this day in and day out and day in and day out. She, she comes to Joseph and he says, no, every single time. Till one day she walks in and there's nobody else in the house and she decides, she, she sort of has this plan. She asks Joseph and he says no. Well, she, she grabs hold of his garment and as he tries to run off, she, she tears his garment away from him and then embarrassed and also angry, uh, screams to the guards of the house, hey, this young Hebrew boy is in here and he has tried to rape me. She then goes and tells her husband Potiphar. Potiphar is very angry. So what does Potiphar do? He throws Joseph in prison. Not just any prison. He throws him in the king's prison, the prison that the worst criminals go to. That's where Joseph finds himself. So not only has he had a family feud with his brothers, the people that were supposed to love him, they were supposed to care for him, they sold him away. Now he's been falsely accused. He's been falsely accused when he was doing the right thing. He was falsely accused and it landed him in prison. That's the place that Joseph is in. So now we find him in prison. Let me ask, has anybody ever just had one of those kind of days? You know, not, not a day like Joseph, hopefully, but one of those kind of days where you wake up and everything seems to be going well until you're on your way to work and you get a flat tire and then you think, no big deal, I'll call into work. And they say everything's fine until you get to work. And then all of a sudden you realize that you had this project that was due. And they're like, look, if you don't get that project due, I don't know what's going to happen to your job. And it all started with this flat tire. Sort of like a, a guy I used to work with. I used to frame, frame houses back in the day, and I worked with this guy, and he was from 
many, many, many miles up in the Pisgah National Forest. He just, he, that was where he was from. And he told me one time, he's, he's just this just country guy. And he said, Adrian, I want to tell you something. He actually called me Adrian. Instead of Adrian, he said, Adrian, he said, Adrian, I want to tell you something. If you wake up in the morning and you spill your coffee, go back to bed. All right, that, that was his advice. And there were several times he didn't show up to work. And I would call him and he said, I spilled my coffee this morning. And his whole thought process was that if my day starts off bad with spilling coffee, what's going to happen? It's going to get worse. Well, that's where Joseph finds himself. Joseph, this isn't just a day. This has been now a matter of weeks and years. But Joseph's life started off good. It turned bad. And now it keeps getting worse. And he finds himself in prison. But again, Joseph noticed as a leader... He, the guard of the prison notices that he's got some leadership capabilities, so he puts him in charge of a couple of different people in jail. And the people in jail are the chief cupbearer to the king and the chief baker. In other words, these guys were so important to the king because the chief cupbearer would, would take a drink of whatever the king was going to be drinking to make sure there wasn't poison in it. And the chief baker was supposed to be in charge of whatever was being cooked for the king to make sure that nobody poisoned the king. Well, they ended up in jail most likely because the king, Pharaoh, thought they were doing something to him. So what happens is the chief cupbearer has a dream. The chief baker then has a dream. Well, guess who uh, is good at interpreting dreams? Joseph. He says, listen, my God will interpret these dreams. So here's what he tells the chief cupbearer. He says, in three days, you will be restored to your position. And when you are, will you simply remember me? And then he looks at the chief baker and he says, man, there's no hope for you. In three days, you're going to be hanged on a tree. And then three days from, from, from the time of interpreting that dream, guess what happens? The chief cupbearer is, is restored back to his job and the chief baker is, is dead. The problem was there was a The guy who was supposed to remember Joseph, the chief cupbearer, made it all the way back to Pharaoh, and he didn't remember him. It says he forgot about about Joseph. Until one day, Pharaoh wakes up with this dream. Pharaoh, one of the most powerful men in all the earth, the most powerful man in the nation of Egypt, wakes up, and and he's distraught. He's distressed because he's had this dream. And this dream that he he has is, is about... A situation that he might he might find his nation in, but he's not sure what the dream actually means. He wakes up from this dream and he says there were seven plump cows that came up out of the Nile, and they ate and everything was good. But right after that, there were seven ugly and thin cows that came up out of the Nile, and they ate the ugly they ate the the plump cows, but they still looked ugly and thin. So if you're like me, you would think I don't know what that means, but. But all of a sudden, the, the, the chief cupbearer remembers, hey, there, there was a guy in, in prison that interpreted my dream, and it, and it came true. So he tells Pharaoh, there was this young Hebrew boy down in prison, and he was good at interpreting dreams. He interpreted mine. He sadly interpreted my friends, but he interpreted our dreams, and they came true. So Pharaoh, uh, he had already had all the magicians, all the wise men of Egypt. They had tried to interpret the dream, but they couldn't. So he finally calls this young Hebrew boy, Joseph. And he says, hey, this is my dream. Will you tell me what has happened? So Joseph says, my God will be able to interpret your dream. So when he does, he says, listen, there's going to be seven years of plenty in Egypt. You're going to have more food than you can do anything with. So it represents the seven plump cows. And then there's going to be seven years of famine. So he pretty much advises Pharaoh, Pharaoh, if I were you, though I'm a a young boy who just came out of prison and you are the most powerful man of this nation, I would advise you, um, while you have those seven years of plenty, store some up so that you can have plenty for the seven years of famine. 
So Pharaoh says, you know what? I've not found anybody like this in all of Egypt. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to put you in charge of all of Egypt. The only person who is greater than you is I, the king of Egypt. So let's take a step back and remember where Joseph has come from. He was favored by his father. He was falsely, or he was, he was abandoned by his brothers. He was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. He then ended up in prison. He was forgotten at first. And now he finds himself as the man second in charge of one of the most powerful nations in the entire earth. That's where we find Joseph at this point. And all of this leads us to the moment that we're going to get to from Genesis 50, 20. The verse that I started us with, all of, all of what has happened leads us to here. Everything in Joseph's life has led him to this point. The fact that his brothers hated him, the fact that his brothers hurt him, has led him to this point. See, we've got to remember before we go on that whatever it is that you're struggling with or however someone has offended you, though you may feel abandoned, though you may feel hurt, God did not forget Joseph, and he hasn't forgotten you. Wherever you find yourself, God has not forgotten where you are. He has not forgotten the hurt that you have gone through. God understands it. God knows it. And God has you in a place that I hope we can can get to as Joseph did. So he finds himself second command of all of Egypt. And then all of a sudden, his brothers, back in Canaan, There's a famine back in Canaan, and they find themselves to be hungry. So Jacob, the father, Joseph's father, sends the other brothers, and he says, go to Egypt to buy some food. So they come to Egypt, and Joseph sees his brothers. The brothers do not recognize him, but he recognizes his brothers. Now picture this. The person who has hurt you or offended you worse than anybody else, they are coming to you. And you have the opportunity to offer restoration or restitution. And Joseph chooses the former. He, instead of paying them back for, for what he's been put through, he, he decides to use what he's gone through in a redemptive way. So Joseph, not revealing who he is, because he's changed so much, he's probably got on Egyptian attire and he's, he's about 13 years older. They don't recognize him, so he provides all of them with food. He fills all of their bags with food and he sends them back, but he does one thing. He takes his silver cup, the silver cup, the kind of the, the, the power cup. You know, he takes the silver cup and he puts it in the bag of Benjamin, the youngest brother, and he sends them on their way. This was a test. Joseph is testing his brothers and he tells his guards, he says, hey, when they get out of the country... As soon as they get out of the city and they start on their way back, I want you to go and I want you to arrest them and bring them back. So that's what they do. So they bring the brothers back and and Joseph says, hey, I'm missing a cup. What's happened with my cup? And they're like, we don't know. So Joseph says, I want you to search all of these these bags for, for a cup. And when they do, they find the silver cup in Benjamin. Benjamin, the youngest brother, they find it in there. And Joseph was putting his brothers to the test. Here's how he was testing them. He wanted to see if they had changed. Or if they were just going to say, Benjamin, I hate that you did that, but we're going back to Canaan. He wanted to see if his, brother, if his brothers had changed. And what happens is the brothers beg. They say, please, you cannot punish him. You cannot keep him in Egypt because if you do, our father will not be able to make it. He's already lost one of his sons. And if you, if you take away Benjamin, he's not going to be able to live. And Joseph, in that moment, knowing that now that his father is still alive, seeing that his brothers have changed, what does he do? Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. It says that he wept 
He cried because he reveals who he is. And Genesis 45, 3 actually tells us the brother's response. This is my biblical interpretation of the brother's response. They, they, they look and, and they realize, oh, oh no. The guy that we, the guy that we sold into slavery, <laughs> the guy that we hated, um, he's, he's now the man. What are we going to do about this? Whenever they have that realization, before they can even speak, this is what Joseph says next. Genesis 45, 4 through 7. It says that Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. In this moment, Joseph is realizing the pain that he has gone through, being stabbed in the back by his brothers, it wasn't his fault. But he was beginning to realize that God had used that for something greater. Understand, Joseph didn't suffer because God was punishing him for anything, but Ultimately, he was punished so that God could save people. Genesis 45 through 49, then he's reunited with his father. Um, He and his brothers reconcile, um, and he even gives them a place to, to live. He gives them food during the famine. He takes care of his brothers. So fast forward from Genesis 37, which is when Joseph was 17 and he gets sold into slavery, all the way until now, Genesis 50, where we began. Joseph's father, Jacob, has just died. Joseph's brothers, afraid that Jacob was the only thing holding the family together, they come to Joseph and they say, please forgive us. We, we backstabbed you, which led to you being falsely accused, which led to you being thrown in prison. And I know you're now second command of a great nation, but please forgive us. And look at Joseph's responses. Genesis 50, 19, he says, do not fear for am I in the place of God? He said, am I the judge? How can I judge you because I'm not God? And then he says in verse 20, what you meant for evil, God used for good, that many should be kept alive. Notice it wasn't that Joseph said, hey, what you meant for evil, I'm glad you meant it. No, no, no. Joseph didn't say, hey, um, you intended to hurt me, and you know what? I can just let those things go. Joseph didn't say that. He says, what you intended for evil, God meant for good for the sake of so many other people. So look at where we are in the story. If Joseph's brothers had not sold him into slavery, he wouldn't have gone to Egypt. He wouldn't have been in Potiphar's home. He wouldn't have saved thousands, if not millions of people from famine. Joseph not only then forgave his brothers, but he he cared for them. So the question for us this morning is this. How does kindness and love and mercy and grace become so cultivated in someone's heart, even when they've been so wickedly treated? How, How does the attitude of complete forgiveness, of compassion and affection and comfort, get cultivated in the heart of somebody who has been treated so poorly? And the answer is this. The answer is found in Joseph's understanding of God. The answer is found in Joseph's theology. He he says, though they meant it for evil, God meant it for good. 
Now hear me on this. He had a clear understanding that God was at work and that God was in control of his situation despite how bad it had become. And he said, if I'm able to trust God with what's happening, I'm able to trust God with the outcome of how it could be used. In other words, um, his understanding of the providence of God generated the attitude in his heart. So with that said, I don't want you to think God is the author of evil. He's not. God's not the author of how you've been offended. Sin has has caused someone to offend you. Our sinful nature uh, causes people to hurt people. God didn't author this, uh, a sin, this, these sinful things in Joseph's life, but God knew what was going to happen, and God knew how he could use the outcome. Sin had caused this, and God wanted to restore it. You see, when, that, when we realize this, that not only helps us realize who God is and what he can do, but other people can see how you and I have been offended or how we've been hurt. And when we have this mindset that despite how I've been hurt, it's not that I look at, hey, somebody has offended me, somebody has hurt me, and I can just let it go. No, it's we understand, hey, though I've been offended and though I've been hurt, and many of you have been hurt greatly, many of you have been offended by someone, many of you have been hurt by someone, and you have the scars, whether it's emotionally or physically to this day. But what we understand from this story is that though what you have gone through was bad, we must realize that though the bad things that we have gone through that you have faced, God can use, God did not cause, but God can use that for not only your good, but also the good of other people. You see, Joseph suffered and was hurt But ultimately, it did what? It saved thousands of people's lives. Similarly, we we fast forward about 1,800 years after the story of Joseph, and and we see the life of what Tim Keller would say is the better Joseph. You see, Jesus was dearly loved by his father. He was the shepherd of his father's sheep. He was hated by his brothers. He was stripped of his clothing. He was sold for the price of a slave. He was tempted. He was falsely accused. He was bound in chains, and he was condemned with criminals. Jesus uh, suffered, yet was highly exalted. He wept for his brothers. He forgave those who had wronged him, and he ultimately saved anyone who would trust in him from certain death because what men intended for evil in the crucifixion, God ultimately used for good through salvation. Jesus is the better Joseph. God used the actions of people. The crucifixion to bring salvation to the entire world. And now if you're in this room this morning and you are a follower of Christ, you're someone who embraces this salvation, the way that we show the world that we have been saved by Christ who forgave us is when we forgive those who have wronged you and me. We, we, we must understand our suffering in light of the suffering of God. You see, it's in Christ that God suffered unjustly and unfairly. Jesus suffered not because he deserved it. He suffered because we did. Jesus suffered for the thing that you did even last night. Jesus suffered for for Joseph's brothers who who sold him into, into Egypt. Jesus suffered unfairly and unjustly, but it's also through his suffering that we see the loving kindness and the mercy of God. See, it's only in our understanding of God's plan through Christ that we can understand those things that we go through. 
So in wrapping up this series, in wrapping up this, this whole sermon, and wrapping up this series, what are the implications for us based out of the life of Joseph? Here are the three things to write down this morning. Choosing to forgive allows us to fully experience the forgiveness of God. Choosing to forgive allows us to fully experience the forgiveness of God. See, we can be troubled by the past action against us, but if we just hold that, guess what happens? We hold that against somebody and we don't get any better. Instead, we get bitter. So it's hard for us to end up embracing God's forgiveness of us if we cannot choose to forgive. Second truth is this, choosing to forgive allows others to experience the forgiveness of God. When you forgive, whomever it is you're forgiving experiences what God has done for you, and then those outside the situation see God at work. It's the many that Joseph said, hey, what you intended for evil, God meant for good to save many. People outside of our circle see how we treat, how we've been treated unfairly. They see how we treat those people. And that is either a testament to the cross or a testament to our bitterness. Choosing to forgive allows others to fully experience the forgiveness of God. And then the third thing is this. Choosing to forgive allows God to be the judge. Remember what Joseph said, am I in the place of God? Am I in the place of God? Can I judge? He, he knew that he wasn't the final judge of those who had wronged him, but he trusted God with the justice needed for the situation. He knew that he wasn't the judge. You see, this assumes the correct posture of trusting God's justice. So I ask you, can you do the same? Jerry preached on this a couple weeks ago out of Romans 12. Can you trust that uh, what Paul said in Romans 12, beloved, neither avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Can you trust that? Can you trust Romans 8, 28 that says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Can you trust that what others meant for evil, God can use for good? Or even trust, if, if you can't think of a situation where someone has wronged you, but your life has taken a wrong turn that you weren't expecting, can you trust that despite this wrong turn, God can use it for good? Because we see that in, in the life of, of a man who many of you probably know of, you probably don't know him personally, but if you follow sports, especially football, you've heard of a man named Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy was a great coach, um, great mentor, great leader. Um, he got his start as a defensive coordinator way back in the day, uh, got demoted, um, but in, ended up working his way back to being the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And he was building the Super Bowl team. And uh, then what happened is after he lost in the playoffs to what was supposed to be the year they were going to win the Super Bowl, he got fired. Got fired. A man like him, not long after that, as good a coach as he was, he gets a job pretty quickly with the Indianapolis Colts. And, and when he does, he, um, he becomes a coach, builds that team, has a, just a, a, you know, he had Peyton Manning on his team, has some other good players. He builds that team, and they are charging in the playoffs, 2005. It just looks like they might win it that year until he gets a call that his son James, for no apparent reason, took his own life. Didn't leave a note or didn't leave anything. All, he, 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 he was caught off guard. His, his team was that he was in the middle of his job. Got caught off guard by this thing that happened. And when interviewed at the time, he said, look, I, I, I don't know why this is happening. 
I don't know why, but this does reassure my belief that life has uh, peaks and valleys. He was told early in his career and even at this point that he would never become a good coach simply because um, he was laid back. He was a laid back coach who, who, who didn't really yell and scream. He didn't, he didn't uh, uh, say things he shouldn't. He was just a, a simple laid back coach and he was told that he would never win until February 4th, 2007 and Dungy did what? He won a Super Bowl. He won a Super Bowl when he was told that he never would win one. And it was only two years difference between winning a Super Bowl and losing a child that Dungy would make this statement. Both of these events have given me the opportunity to grow in my faith. Dungy, a very devout Christian. I have been touched by so many people who have reached out to me to express their own experiences, their triumphs, as well as their tragedies. And because of my experiences, I have been able to help them. I can tell them in no uncertain terms that despite these ups and downs, God is with us, God is for us, and he will never abandon us. Tony Dungy, in the midst of life's many wrong turns, some of which were not caused by him, realized Romans eight twenty eight. He realized that despite some of the things he had faced, God wasn't the author of those things, but he was able to help people through what they were going through because of the circumstances that he had gone through. So let me ask you this question before I close. Can you trust what others meant for evil, God can take and he can use it for good? Can you trust that this morning in your relationships, in your family relationships, in your work relationships? In any situation that you come to, can you trust that what others may mean for evil, God can use for good? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for allowing us to be here this morning. God, I pray that you would use uh, the story of Joseph. But Jesus, ultimately, what has happened to you on the cross and, and your resurrection, use that to remind us that though we're going to face things in life, though people are going to offend us, though we're going to be hurt. You never intended those things. Sin caused these things, Jesus, but you can take them and you can use them for not only our good, but you can use them for the good of others. May we have a shift in mindset because we realize you can take the wrongs against us and use them for good. Jesus, thank you for dying for us when you were treated unfairly, unjustly, Even though you were innocent, you still chose to go to a cross to die for our sin. In any relationship that we have, any circumstance that we come upon, may our our words, our mindset be guided by your word, which says that, God, we can forgive because you have forgiven us. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for forgiving us. And I pray that we could um, learn from this text this morning. Holy Spirit, apply this uh, in whatever way you see fit in the lives of the people here. In Jesus' name, amen.